Got light too strong. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff After Hours. This is a episode of Real Crime Stories. A lot of stuff going on in the country with these active shooting incidents. We had one in Atlanta the other day, and just uh, yesterday we had a, a, an active shooter in Boulder, Colorado. The one in Boulder, Colorado caused the uh, death of 10 people. And the same questions arise all the time. Is, is, it, uh, is, is it gun control? Is it mental health? What is, what is the reason behind these active shootings? We're going to explore a little bit of these uh, questions we have. And we're going to also explore the angle that the press takes on these cases. Does it help the public? Does it hurt the public? Does it hurt everyone? Does it help everyone? Uh, we have some questions here. And with me today are two retired NYPD officers. One at the top of the screen is Joe Murray, who is also a practicing attorney. And at the bottom of the screen is retired Sergeant Pete Panuccio, who did nearly 39 years on the NYPD. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill. Good to see you, Pete. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Good to see you, Joe. Now, I'm sure you guys have been following these um, active shooter incidents. And, uh, Joe, first, uh, I'd like to ask you, what is, what is your take on this? Is, is it a mental health issue? Is it a gun control issue? What's going on? You know, you, you always hear these uh, unfortunate incidents, you know, uh, particularly with the loss of life, including one police officer that we know of uh, with that shooting, the tragedy of it. The officer's uh, picture is, uh, is on the screen right now. Yeah. Uh, Sadly, uh, when there's loss of life, it, it's horrible. But I hate when I see the left constantly politicizing it and using it to further their agenda, which I don't think really addresses the issue. Uh, I just looked up myself, just trying to find the Colorado laws, and I saw in an article, I don't want to say affirmatively that it's absolutely true, but in an article that I just read, it says that Colorado already has background checks. They already have magazine laws and red flag laws. In fact, they're one of the, the leaders, according to this article, about this, uh, you know, uh, the gun issue and, and dealing with uh, shootings. And yet we have this shooting. Isn't that funny? Maybe it's not the law-abiding citizen who goes and buys a gun lawfully to use it. Uh, maybe it's a criminal that uses it to, or, or, or someone just absolutely crazy that wants to inflict harm and goes and doesn't follow the law or the procedures that are in place and uses this. So I, I hate to see it politicized and used to further restrict law-abiding citizens from their Second Amendment right to carry a firearm. And I also want to add, there's something else going on in this country, and, and, and we've seen it with all these riots and the, the politics of the response to the riots. Uh, if you, you remember all summer long with the Black Lives Matter and the billions of dollars in damage and burning and looting that went on, <clears throat> And it was allowed to go on and take place where the, the law enforcement was pulled back. This is outrageous. But then when it goes to protesting the Capitol, 
they are going after these people like they are terrorists. And it, it's just shocking. But the point I'm trying to make is when the government no longer even-handedly decides to protect us and they're only going to choose to enforce the law and protect the public when it's an issue that they agree with, but when it's something that they want to take place, they pull back law enforcement and they allow people to be hurt and injured. Like when you look at Seattle, they were storming the federal courthouse for weeks, terrorizing it, and law enforcement was pulled back. They were allowed to do it. And, and they had the audacity to file a lawsuit requesting because they are subject to the police interference, sometimes with tear gas, that they were suing to try to get protective equipment for the protesters because of the police response. It's, it's outrageous. We've lost our, our moral compass in this country. So the point being that if the government is not going to enforce laws and keep the public safe, now more than ever, we need to have firearms available for law-abiding citizens to protect themselves. Okay. So these things are going to happen. They have been happening. It's not because of good citizens who are, are buying firearms legally to, to protect themselves. There, there are these outliers, and that nobody should have to lose their rights because of crazy people. Well, Joe, one of the, one of the, I mean, you covered a lot of area right there, but I want to specifically focus on the Boulder, Colorado incident right at this point in regards to the mental health of the person that uh, was able to buy a firearm six days ago, not just a firearm, but a very, um, it was a Ruger AR-556 pistol, which a semi-automatic pistol. I read in an article, I don't know if it's true or not, that it was capable of holding a 30-round clip. I don't know if, in fact, uh, the shooter had a 30-round clip. But, uh, Pete, this directed at you. What, what is your take on the shooting in uh, in Colorado? I honestly don't know where to begin. Um, based on, you know, we have to be very careful on what information that we're using because a lot of erroneous information already came out. Um, it seems to me that the media is now engaged in a full-blown spin with this thing. Um, yesterday, the uh, Blue and On crowd, people on the left, went absolutely overjoyed when they saw what they thought the white guy let out of that uh, supermarket. That said, turns out this guy is a man of Syrian descent. He's of the Muslim faith. And all of a sudden, it goes dead quiet. Now... I did a, did a fair amount of research today. We were trying to find, you know, valid, you know, valid reporting the best I could. And uh, this guy has had problems. And this is coming from a family member. He's had major issues since 2014. A lot of it sounds like some kind of paranoia, possibly schizophrenia, people following him and all sorts of crap going on. Okay. My question is, what did you people do about it? Okay. And. He bought the gun six days ago, but family members saw this guy playing with the gun in the house. Did you call the police? Did you take the gun away from him? This guy's been a, a time bomb now. According to some high school students he went to school with, he's been arrested for assault. Um, 
trying to gather information on what this guy's background is, they immediately shut down his uh, social media accounts yesterday. There's, like I said, I take it some of the stuff with grain of, grain of salt because they're saying he had uh, may have been an adherent of ISIS. Um, there's other unconfirmed stuff coming out that this guy, that there's like over 20 people living in the house where he's at. And uh, as we know, it came out last night. This guy was on the FBI's radar. After all afternoon, we listened to the FBI saying, no, 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 uh, we're not looking at this guy. Well, it turns out he's associated with the guy that they were seriously looking at. Nobody's using the, uh, the, the terrorism word yet. Um, but apparently there's an active investigation and this guy pops up as a subject in that case. I'm not putting the blame on the FBI for this. I'm not. Right. Um, you know as well as I do, there is just a tremendous amount of material that comes in. There's only so many people to work on it, so many hours in a day. And barring them getting further information, like people calling up and saying, like, hey, this guy's a problem, okay? Um, it, it didn't go too much further, except it was a guy possibly they're looking at with ISIS leanings. Um, the mental health health issue is well known. What did the school do? Apparently, this kid knocked another kid out in school three years ago, punched him in the head, knocked him out cold. And he took and an he arrest took for that. That should have precluded him from obtaining a firearm, correct? I don't think so because it was a misdemeanor arrest. But, you know, all this hoopla about, you know, well, it could have been stopped because as of 10 days ago, you weren't allowed to purchase those firearms. The guy's got a driver's license. Colorado's a big state. You go over to the next county, and you can buy a handheld nuclear weapon, all right? So, I mean, it's it's, it's a moot point. They can carry on. All, they are going to hammer home the issue about firearms. Guys, I, mean, I just want to share the screen for a second with the um, Colorado chief of police, who um, you could see how upset she is in this uh, in this picture here. And she's going to uh, talk to us here. We don't. We don't hear. You're not hearing yeah. it. Okay. I'm going to stop the share right now. But what she was talking about, and, and you could see uh, how upset she was. She was yeah. talking about the loss of life of one of her officers uh, by the name of Eric Talley, who came on the job, actually, when he was 40 years old. And wow. he, he has 11 years on the job. And he, he's the father of, of seven kids, which is, like, horrendous. This There's Eric Talley right there. And as police officers do across the country. He knew what he was facing. He didn't hesitate to go into uh, that supermarket and confront this shooter. And for his efforts, he took a bullet to the head and he lost his life. And um, when you hear all this anti-police stuff, uh, you know, you, uh, you can't help but say, you know, in this profession, there are heroes. And sure, surely uh, Eric Talley is a hero, but that doesn't do his seven kids any good. 
they hey, all know Billy, without a folder, you know. Billy, just to put it out there for uh, the audience, the Boulder, Colorado Office of Emergency Management has set up a fund. Um, I don't have the link. I don't have it right in front of me. There is one specifically designated fund for the, uh, for the families of people who have killed, but they've also set up one. I, I mean, in a situation like this, this is absolutely horrendous. His youngest son is five years old. Yeah. Um, this is absolutely horrible. And for, you know, the thing is, uh, there's there's definitely a worthy cause to take care of this officer's family. Seven kids. And just imagine having a change of career at the age of 40 and starting as a rookie at 40 years old uh, with any police department. It's right. it's no easy thing, you know. I, I started my second 20 years when I was 40. I, re <laughs> I retired at 40 and came back. Well, um, Pete, you know, they, they may want to do some psychological evaluation of you, too. But yeah, uh, I know we appreciate your service, and I know how long that you were on this job. Um, you know, when we talk about active shooters, it goes back to um, one of the most famous incidents also happened in the state of Colorado, and that was, of course, Columbine, where two kids, uh, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, were being bullied. Uh, that's what I was the reason given. And they went into the school heavily, heavily armed. And they killed, uh, I believe, uh, 12 or 14 students and faculty. And the police were heavily criticized because back then, the procedure was not to go in and confront the shooters. And that was almost like emergency service or SWAT team procedure all over the country. And that incident changed that procedure. You have any thoughts on that, Joe? I, I don't know how those those uh, I mean we, we as cops I mean how, how could you ever not you know immediately pursue something like that you know to say that uh, they should hold back uh, I, I don't know how I could go into a scene like that especially as a father uh, when there's kids involved so you know I I, I certainly uh, support the, the police and what they do but I I just can't see how anyone could stand back. I remember the one in Florida uh, where the resource officer was criticized for, for standing back. I just cannot support that. I mean, how did he not enter and try to stop this shooter? So There was a secondary issue with that. One of the captains on scene ordered the Broward guys not to go in. The standard operating procedure since Columbine, and there's been a lot of thought, a lot of work that went into this over the years. As soon as you get a couple of cops together, if you've got an active shooter, go in. You're not waiting for additional resources. You have to go in. The only thing that's going to stop an active shooter is another active shooter in blue yeah. uniforms. Yeah. And that guy, you know, down in actually Coral, you see the Coral Springs or Coral Gables PD turned around and said, uh, uh, you know, they were from a different jurisdiction and they stormed in and, you know, they, they yeah. saved lives. You cannot stand down. There's a, I'm looking at the timeline from yesterday's incident. The initial calls came in like around 2.36, 2.38. Uh, the officer entered the place at 2.50. And it appears that there's an actual, there's some knucklehead. We, it's a separate subject, but a quote-unquote uh, constitutionalist-type reporter who was videoing. He was actually live-streaming from the scene. 
he didn't call 911. He yelled at everybody else to call 911. And then he proceeded to fight with every cop there when they called him to get out of the hot zone. So I'm not a fan of this guy. But, you know, we don't know the actual timeline yet as to how they entered, how many guys entered, or, or gals, um, to take this guy out. The store is huge. The store is absolutely huge. But what do we see last night? All right. 58 minutes into the incident, Fatso there is, and I, like I said, they said this guy's 21. It's just 21. It looks like he's 42. Yeah. When, he's being, when he's being walked out, the criticism began immediately from the. Oh, yeah. oh he's white. That's why they didn't kill them. I, and I, I get into a couple engagements with some Twitter types. You know, my point is the reason why he walked out alive is because he surrendered. When you surrender, you get handcuffed. You want to fight, you're going down hard. And it has absolutely no play on what your color is. As I said, look at it this way. Just say me or you or Joe, you know, with patrol sergeants, whatever, Joe showing up in a second. We see one of the guys we work with shot through the head on the floor. All right? You're pumped. You're already in a shooting, an active shooter. And that is a guy you know for 11 years laying there dead. He says, trust me, the cops, this guy had given them an inkling or he was still shooting at them. They would have killed him, no doubt in my mind. They would have went in and killed him. Right. Man threw his guns down, his hands up, and surrendered. That's the difference. Cops well, you know, Pete, there's usually him. three ways in which an active shooting ends. And it's uh, the purpose killed by the police, the perp kills himself. Or the perp surrenders. And in this yes. incident, the perp surrendered because even though he had the unmitigated audacity to kill 10 people, he really, most of these people are cowards. And that's, you know, and when they were faced with overwhelming force, they surrender, you know, and that's what this guy did. Yeah, at that point, there were numerous officers, there were multiple SWAT teams entering the building, um, <clears throat> different agencies. They got there pretty quick. Um, what, what what's boggling with that video is that like there's people just walking around in and out of the store like oh, you know where's the milk section you know uh, yeah I gotta go over to Dwayne paying absolutely no mind to the carnage transpiring around them but it goes back to alright the three of us are retired guys you know what I really don't give a shit pardon my French about your gun free zones no matter where they are I'm a police yeah. officer. I've been a police officer for 40 years right. carrying my gun. All right, I understand if it's a private menu, you don't want me in there. Well, you know what? I got that. You know what? I'm walking in out of the supermarket. I'm going to be carrying a weapon. Why do you have to break law enforcement shoes and law-abiding gun owners, the majority of whom never, ever cause a problem with the gun? You know what? Maybe had there been some guy out there, some cowboy, somebody who knows how to handle a gun, said, no, bro, not today. And engage this guy and, and slow him down for a couple of minutes until, you know, the troops respond. Um, this is the guy. This guy would have got punched in the face and handcuffed to a tree if I was there. He was that obnoxious. You know, they're up on this. Yeah, this is probably that. Uh... He's yelling at the cops. I'm a constitutionalist reporter. Yeah, he's an idiot. He's a, he's he's a typical idiot, you know. And he kept it up. He fought with the cops out there for almost an hour. 
I would have punched him in the face and knocked him out, you know. I don't want to hear that. Let's just look at what's going on. I don't want to hear the people's uh, – the media loves that, you know, the point of view of uh, – yeah. That's actually heartbreaking with that police officer with those kids. Uh, heartbreaking that anybody died, but here's this guy that took on a, a tough job at the age of 40, you know, wanted to be of service. Yeah. And seven kids, and uh, you're dead because of some scumbag, whatever his problem was, either he's mentally screwed up or he was going to raise the ISIS flag. I, I don't know. Um, it's absolutely, it, it's heartbreaking. You know, the, um, the bruises, uh, the bruises that law enforcement has taken this year uh, are somewhat still fresh, you know, and in everyone's mind. And mostly the wounds have been coming from the government and people criticizing the police, defund the police, the police did this wrong. The police need more training. We're describing riots as protests. You know, I think the police in almost every jurisdiction in this country have had it. And it's very tough probably these days to recruit recruit people to become police officers. Joe, you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I sadly, uh, you know, just even my own family, my, my daughter took the NYPD test, the Nassau County test, the Suffolk County test. Um <clears throat> She just graduated college, but she was in college and she got called by the NYPD. And I was just so, you know, beaming with pride that she would want to do that job to serve the community and work as a police officer, uh, especially that her father was a police officer. So I, I really just, you know, felt so good by that as as to the child that we've raised, her mother and I. Uh, however, I can't tell you how glad I am that she decided to defer and she's now graduated uh, with her, her and passed her boards. Good job, Casey, with her BSN. Uh, and I'm glad that she's not taking that job because, like you said, you know, police have been under attack like never before, mostly from the government or the government gaslighting the public against them. And like I alluded to at the riots over the summer, they were punching bags. And we saw it on video, the chief of department cracked in the head with a bat. I mean, it doesn't get worse than that. And then, you know, they also had him kneeling down, you know, for a crowd, you know, appeasing the people. I don't want my daughter to be part of that. And I'm so glad she made the choice not to uh, to enroll in the police department. But I, I have to tell you, I was proud of that, that, that she wanted to to serve the public in that in that fashion. But it's a problem that I think is going to be nationwide, recruiting good quality people. Well, you know, Joe, one of the things I always hear, and you hear it from uh, politicians all the time, is when police um, do something that they consider wrong, you always hear them say, oh, they need better training. They don't mean that. The politicians don't mean that because training costs money. They don't want to spend the money. Training takes a cop yes, off the road. Right. They don't want to take the cop off the road. So when they say that, they're lying. They're totally 100% lying. Pete, your thoughts on that? You know, 
we're in a mayoral election here in New York City. Yes. All the front runners want to reform the police. All of them. Gang, uh, Eric Adams, uh, the other putts, uh, Scott Stringer. Oh, we need to reform the police. No, you know what you need to do? And I know this is kind of harsh. You need to reform the public, okay? It's not acceptable to lay your hands on a police officer. The behavior of last summer became normalized. Ooh, cop shoved me. Shoved you? If you were carrying on like that back in the 80s, you would have been kabonk. We would have knocked you out. And you would have been pollen. And guess what? When you start treating these people the way they need to be treated during a riot and put their asses in jail, guess what? You know, riot's over. I'd say probably about 70 or 80% of the people that were participating in these marches and stuff last year never been involved with the criminal justice system. You know, the kids from NYU and everybody's woke. Guess what? Cracked, cuffed. And the next thing you know, you're in Central Book and eating a bologna and cheese sandwich. You know yeah. what? It kind of takes the, the zest out of being a social justice warrior. You know, well, I, I retired in the end of July. I was out there for the month of June for these riots. In 39 years, I could not believe what I saw and the abuse that these cops put up with. Yeah, Pete, there's uh, a picture of you on the screen. It's hard to find a decent picture of you anywhere, you know? Whereas, yeah. you know, Joe Murray, he's got pictures all over the place. You know, and professionally, professionally, look at this. There you got Joe Murray. He's trying to he, he's trying to get clients, you know. That was the district attorney. <laughs> yeah. But, you, know, you, know, you, you know, I just wanted to say something uh, also. Um, this, oh, I don't, you know, we've, we've, we've made this in a, a way pretty political, talking about our resistance towards some of the things that are done with police. But it always comes back to... Um, talking about gun control, you know, and some of the strictest laws in the nation have the worst gun violence in the nation. For example, Chicago, just about every weekend in Chicago, 60 to 70 people get shot and another, you know, eight to 10 murdered with firearms. But you never hear politicians talking about gun control in Chicago because you know why? Because they have some of the strictest gun laws in the nation, but the worst gun crime. You know, they talk about what happened Monday, uh, uh, yesterday in Colorado. On Monday, you had 15 people shot in Chicago. 15 shot, I believe it's four DOAs. And that's a daily occurrence out there. Yet, it, it, it's nobody wants to go there because, it, for the most part, it's black on black crime. And everybody's like, oh, you can't say that, you know. And you, we know from our experience here, there were numerous shootings that we handled that involved four, four, five, six victims. And you know what? You might get a story in the paper for a, a day and then it's gone. The violence is here and it's getting worse because they just completely shut the cops down. But you... What tools you've decriminalized all crime basically? Everybody get even for robberies and birds now, you get the DAT. And you know, what is the point of even getting involved and in locking people up anymore? That's never been me as a cop, but you know, I, this I, is the we also have to we have to touch upon what's been the problem with these active shooter incidents, and, and, and many times it's been a uh, the mental health or the mental illness of the shooter 
and the fact that these people are, are getting access to guns. I think as police officers, uh, former police officers, we're all very much pro-Second Amendment. We believe in the right to bear arms. But I, I can deal with restrictions. I can deal with a waiting period. I can deal with background checks. I think that's, that's fine. But the problem is, is the right goes too far and the left goes ridiculous. The left, the guy Beto O'Rourke was talking about gun confiscation. You know, yeah. when the government says things like that, you know, they scare the hell out of people. Yeah, but Beto never tells you how he's going to do it. He's going to, yeah, I'll tell the cops to do it. You know what, yeah. Beto? You can come knock on my door and see how it goes. <laughs> um, I got into a blowout last year over this with somebody who carrying on about, oh, we should have the, these mental health checks. I says, hold on a second. Here's the point you don't understand. First off, what is the criteria to say somebody's mentally deranged and not have a weapon? What happens if somebody is, you know, they go through treatment and they recover and, you know, what, say they have a bout of depression and they, you know, they bounce back and they resume their lives or whatever. So you go on this list. Are you coming off this list? Who's privy to this list? How do you legally get your name off this list? You know, it's the scarlet letter. And uh, never mind the fact that you, you have some serious issues with HIPAA laws. I understand that crazy people shouldn't have guns. I get it. Who's going to make that determination and what sort of system are you going to have in place to ensure that people are treated fairly? Um, this is a can of worms that nobody really, you know, once you start getting into the nuts and bolts, all of a sudden that people are standing there with their thumbs up their ass because they're like, oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Okay. Well, Joe, you're an attorney. Thoughts about that, of how we how we do that? Yeah, I, I, I could give you a perfect example. I had uh, a client who applied to become a police officer. He already had a pistol permit for years with no issue. And once he completed all his processing, he was told to surrender his firearm and permits at his resident precinct because he'd be entering the academy. I, I don't know for the life of me what one has to do with the other. If he's a lawful gun owner, why should he have to surrender that because he's entering the police academy? I don't understand that, but however, that that was the department policy. So he's about to go in the academy and then he doesn't make the class and uh, he applies for his permit back to get it back um, and he's denied. So the reason for the denial was that he failed to meet the criteria for joining the police department. So, you know, on the appeal that I did, I challenged them. I said, where in the regulations or the law or anywhere or case law does it say that a person applying for a permit has to meet the criteria required of police officers to be a police officer in order to possess a firearm? So, we went back and forth with the, the department. It also came out that in the NYPD, they're not allowed to share anything exchanged during the applicant processing, like any of your medical or um, evaluations that are done. They're not allowed to share it, and they didn't share it. 
And the department acknowledged it because in my request to them, I said, I want to have all the documents that you had in your possession to make this determination. So they came back with nothing and then granted our appeal. So I, I think it's this knee-jerk reaction that the government has without well-thought-out rules and regulations that are in place. I do think that there should be you know, some type of... Uh, uh, like you said, a reasonable uh, restriction, like a, a, a delay, a, a waiting period, or a background check, reasonable. But, you know, we know how the government is the worst at doing anything and how things get screwed up and you get on a list somewhere. How do you get off it? And again, are you going to punish people who sought help and tried to get help or, or had other issues, like you mentioned, about substance? Are they now precluded and disqualified? I think it, it really needs to be discussed. But the best, the best weapon we have is not more restriction. It's public awareness. Ever since 9-11, you've been hearing, you see something, say something. That goes for the nut job that has an AR-15 and he's running around talking about killing people. You know, like that. the, the public... I think we are more motivated than ever before post 9-11 to pick up the phone and, and we have the resources. We, you know, here we have 311, you can call them for anything. Uh, so I, I think, you know, we need to be more vigilant as a society, but I'm not for restricting lawful people to own and have a firearm now more than ever because the government is being politicized and the police force is politicized as to what they're going to, you know, have officers protect and what instances where they're not going to have enforcement and they're going to allow crime to take place. Well, you know, Joe, the, uh, the state of Colorado has probably gotten hit harder than almost any other state in regards to active shooters. And just to name a couple we mentioned Columbine, and then there was the one uh, in the movie theater with the guy dressed as uh, it was at the Batman film, and he killed right. twelve people and shot fifty-eight people. I mean, that stings not just a city, but an entire state. And then sure. they had uh, about four or five other ones. So I don't know what it is with Colorado that elicits a lot of uh, active shooter incidents, but. They've had They're their share of too much bad weed. Yeah. What's that, Pete? They're smoking too much weed yeah. out there. <laughs> Is it the high altitude? I don't know. It, it could be the altitude. The air gets thin at 5,000 feet. But, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Like I said, I, I was doing a little research on this today. Uh, Colorado apparently has a magazine law. They have a background check law. They also have red flag laws that I, I just don't believe in. Uh, they have this stuff in place. So what went wrong? What happened? Uh, that's that's a good question. Through? Aaron Rodriguez, thank you so much for the twenty four ninety nine Super Chat. Thanks for supporting Police Off the Cuff, uh, Real Crime Stories. And thank you, Angel Bones. Hello, Janine Goodwin. Just going to shout out to some of our chatters. Mike Ferrone, Polkadot Suzanne, uh, Moonlight View, Reynoldson Diaz, uh, Melody McAtee, Michael McAuliffe, Sean McCabe, Scott Wagner, Nathaniel Sam, Diane Brooks. Uh, of course, Peter Pranzo is here. 
I didn't see Richella. Is Richella here too? I saw Peter. Uh, Joanne Blasich. Hello, Joanne. It's now so nice to see you. You must not be teaching this afternoon, but uh, great to see you guys. Thank you guys for your support. You know, let's let's also touch upon the incident in Atlanta. And Pete, you want to uh, narrate this one? The other active shooter at the massage parlors. Well, you have a guy, okay, which, you know, one thing that's constant, pretty much all these shootings that we're discussing, discussing, there were warning signs in each and every case that trouble, you know, was brewing. So you get this guy who's basically a sex addict, and he goes in and starts taking out these massage parlors. And, you know, people are carrying on. I, I flipped my lid the other day, reading one of the obituaries. Not, not you, Pete. You didn't do that, did you? <laughs> I'm reading, an obituary, reading one of the stories about the woman that ran the massage parlor. All right. Let's stop with the nonsense here. It's, it's a prostitution setup, uh, the rub and tug. It, it, <laughs> not going in there for a massage. Let's put it that way. So this how she was a nice woman and this and that. And my point was stop right there. This is a pimp. She's a madam. Oh, she's a madam. Yes. Yeah. She's a person that's engaging in human trafficking for the sex industry. A lot of these ladies that, that, were, that were employed in these businesses, they have to work their dead off in these locations for a couple of years. So basically, you know, you're, you're an indentured slave. And, uh, so, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat it. I don't want to take away from the victims. But you have a guy here that, you know, they start carrying on. Oh, it's an Asian hate crime. No, you have a guy here that has a, a serious psychosexual issue and rage with women. And, you know, he exploded and he took it out on them. And, like, if you look at it, look at Ted Bundy. Look at a guy like uh, David Berkowitz. Both guys, major rage issues with women. But... This guy did it all in one shot. What happens in the end when this guy's confronted by the police? Hands go up. You know, when you look at the guy and you see the photos of this guy, he doesn't look like he's going to brawl with the cops. No. But that's the point that people need to understand. We're not murderers. You put your hands up, it's over. And this guy here, this guy was another guy that was picking and just turning up the heat over the last couple of years, and he exploded. Um, I'm not going with the whole Asian... Uh, uh, the bias incident that they've been bias trying to sell to everyone, they, yeah. Um, you know, I'm going along the line that this guy is a... Because uh, he, he also killed two other women in the place. I, I think one may have been Caucasian, the other one may have been Hispanic. And, uh, you know, this is a psycho. This is a guy that definitely should not have had a gun, without a doubt. And I'm sure once we do a deep research into this man's background, the warning signs were there. Same way the warning signs were there in Colorado. Um, well, Pete, you know, when you see the guy, I mean, to me, when I read the same story as you on let's let's uh, the, the shooter in the uh, Boulder, Colorado case, his name was Ahmad Al-Alawi Alisa, and he right. was a Syrian uh, immigrant. There was allegedly 20 people living in the house, and it raised – the uh, antenna of the FBI. They were aware of these people. But the fact that he had mental health issues and he was playing with a gun while dressed in, uh, you know, army gear and wearing a bulletproof vest and he's, he's messing around within his living room and his 
his uh, sister-in-law thought, oh, my God, this is crazy. Well, then why didn't she do something about it? Here's a nut yeah. with a gun, with a, a very serious type of gun. Uh, it was an AR-556 pistol, which I'm not a big gun buff, so I don't know that much about the, uh, this gun. Basically, it's an AR-15 round. Um, looks somewhat like an AR. There's a whole bunch of attachments you can put on it. But basically, it's a that caliber round shortened into a pistol. It's not exactly a small weapon, all right? Um, it, it's sizable, but by the same token, you have a, a, a you know a heavy caliber round. You know it's going to do damage in pistol form. But then again, all these signs were there. You know this guy's a ticking time bomb at least since 2014. The family sees this jackass with a gun. What did you do? Did nothing. You know it's. Well, Every you know time. something. Also, there, there apparently had been some um, complaints from people living on the block about that that family. That there was always like twenty or thirty people living in the house. Uh, people were coming and going all hours of the night, which sometimes is indicative of, of drug sales going on in the house. But they had some contact with the FBI. The FBI knew about them. It seems like every all of these active shooters. The FBI knew about the person, but they didn't. It didn't rise to the level where they could well, do the anything. Oh, the Parkland case. That guy was. I mean, the flags were everywhere, and people were telling the FBI that this twisted fool is posting stuff on Facebook about taking people out and taking the school out. There were multi going back months before the actual incident. There were people that were calling up about this kid and said, "Hey, this is a problem. This kid's twisted." And, uh, you know, what happened? Nothing. Um, Let me throw something. Go ahead, Joe. You know, just when you talk about, like, all these woke people that now want all of this reform where you can, uh, you know, you can expunge your criminal record and have your convictions removed. And then all of this advocacy to, to allow these mentally ill people to be released from institutions and on the street. On one hand, they're, they're, they're desperate to try to restore people's rights and have them not uh, disenfranchised. Um, but on the other hand, they now want to restrict their rights and, and take that away. And I just can't reconcile this wokeness, you know, it's, it's either one or the other. Uh, you want public safety? There's a way to do that, to accomplish that. And we were doing that. We were locking people up, uh, both, you know, the criminally insane people and, and other people with severe mental issues. They were institutionalized. Now they're taking them all out, releasing them, and they are getting access to guns. And they're, they're having, uh, you know, incidents like this. So, I think we need to, to just clarify what it is, the role of government. Is it to protect its society and people and how best to do that? You know, I think that the constitutional framework for that is the least restrictive means the government can impose to infringe on your constitutional rights. Whatever that is, I'm all for it if we can do that. But I, I, I fear that it's gonna go well beyond that and they're gonna take away our constitutional rights instead of, you know, reasonably regulating them. 
Well, Joe, you know, one of the things that I uh, noticed a lot of times is when someone would get arrested, and of course they would say, oh, he, he this is his criminal history. And I noticed a lot of people, you know, social justice warriors are like, what does that have to do with anything? Exactly. And we know that past conduct says everything about what's going to happen in the future. If There's you're a criminal a in your past, you're probably going to be a criminal in your future. Not everyone, but most right. of the time. You know, so past behavior is a pretty good indicator of future behavior. And that's I think that, you know, three strikes laws and escalating penalties for persistent felony offenders, because it, it is true that, you know, I don't know the exact number, but just take the ratio. 20% of the population is committing 80% of the crime. They're going to be criminals. There are exceptions. So, yes, we want to know who they are. Why are we wiping their records clean? You know, and, and I, I just I cannot reconcile what the left is trying to do. They're madly trying to, you know, restore everyone and give them all their rights and freedoms. But, oh, my God. Because we've done that and there's no way that we can, you know, otherwise regulate firearms, let's take it away from everyone. It's just outrageous. Well, you know, Joe, I think the overriding goal of um, sort of woke society is something called decarceration. Yes. And what that Absolutely. is, is basically just emptying all the prisons and all the jails because someone decided that. The United States incarcerates way too many people for a uh, civilized, Western civilized country. And so the people that object to that or the people that find that so horrendous, they're going to do that by emptying. And that, thus you see things like bail reform, uh, parole, releasing cop killers, uh, all of those things that we as law enforcement would strenuously object to are now just becoming part of the way uh, governments do business right now. Well, you know, is an issue with, you know, I don't think that word even existed a couple of years ago, yeah. decarceration. Right. But it's now the policy. Now, I didn't see this with my own eyes. But apparently, this is actually the official policy of the Manhattan DA's office of what they're pushing now, of what they're trying to achieve. Is decarceration. And I'm like, you know, okay, I understand that. You know, we, we're trying to do the best for everybody here. But the bottom line is there's always going to be a criminal element out there. Right now, there are absolutely, there's no reason to stop committing crimes right now. There are basically no penalties. And uh, we saw this coming. Nobody wanted to listen to the cops. And they don't have a problem with it. They just, it, it's like to these people, it's not a problem. But you know what? To the Asian lady that's 65 or 70 years old that got punched in the face on Canal Street, guess what? That's an assault recall. You know, you just got some whack job running around punching people unless there's something there to raise it to a bias crime. And even then, they're not going full tilt after these people. You know, so you basically tell, hey, do what you want. This is a free-for-all now in New York City. And uh, that's the you – know, you listen to what's coming out of the mouths of these candidates. You have to be out of your mind to vote for anybody. Hey, Pete, do you think that any of the Democrat candidates would agree to come on police off the cuff? I do. <laughs> what do you think? I don't think they would either. 
I think we're all about going on that show. <laughs> I actually think they would. There's so many of them. They're all looking for ways to distinguish themselves and to come on here and bash cops and then play that everywhere. No, but I would love to ask them what is their what is your plan in regards to the rising amount of murders, homicides, street crime, uh, the homeless on the subway, homeless. What are, what is your plan? What's the plan? I would love just to ask them that. How Listen, hard is that to answer? The guy who we really should try and get on here is Eric Adams. He was a police captain. He's on the job for 30 years. Yeah. You listen to some of the stuff that's kind of – and, and you know what? He's not a stupid guy. He's not. He knows he's what, a smart guy. He knows exactly what the job is. He knows what goes on. And he knows criminals. He understands this. But you listen to the what's coming out of his mouth, and you're like, Bro, really? Are you are you insane? Last yeah, summer, yeah. he went out and says, "Hey, people, if people are shooting fireworks off in your block, go out and tell them to stop." And on July fourth, over in the pink houses, the lady went out to tell the guy down the street to stop. And you know what? He blew her brains out and killed her. You know that was Eric Adams' advice. They're all pushing the same thing, and it's always reform the police, defund the police. Well, I've, I've heard the word training come out of his mouth a few times, too. And I would tell him to his face, you don't mean that. You totally do not mean <laughs> and that. And he doesn't. He absolutely does not mean it. No, of course know? not. And none of them mean it because they, they know training costs money. And they know training takes the cop off the road. They can't afford the money and they can't afford to take the cop off the road. But it, it's just not an agenda. You know, and you think about the people that are pushing for this, the woke crowd. What is the actual percentage of these people in New York City? It's not that big. Most people that are up there trying to work and just go through their lives, they want safe streets, okay? Those same people, though, are not out protesting and carrying on. They're busy raising their families, working, going about their life. Then you got to listen to a bunch of ass clowns, you know, protesting in Foley Square, whatever it is. Oh, the police and this... You know, all cops are bastards and all this nonsense. And you know what? They're the people that are driving the conversation. De Blasio plays to them. You know, he certainly does. And it's really a small number of people that are really setting the agenda here. I, I don't, you know, the only thing that's becoming apparent to me is you just got to get up in their face now and tell them, no, you know what? I'm not buying it. I'm not listening to it. And you're wrong. Simple as that. I mean, people have to get loud. There's no reason yeah. why working people, people just trying to live their lives, and not have safe communities. We had safe communities for over 20 years, and I mean some tough neighborhoods. And you know what? They would became safe. Yeah. And look where we're at now. It would. Would you ever oh. think that this would happen? You know, I hate to say this, but. We started out with active shooters and we're solving all the problems of New York City right now. I'd like to get back to what do we do and the, about active shooters. And on one hand, you have the gun control people. And the other hand, you have uh, the mental health people. And then the other hand, you have people that don't want the police to do their job. So, Joe, what do we do about this problem with active shooters? You know, I think, is it fair to say that we're seeing more of it now than we have in the past? Is it fair to say? Do you think? Do we see more? Don't, I don't think uh, specifically. I, I, you know, I'd have to look at the numbers. Nationally, yeah, maybe we don't get 
many active yeah. shooters in New York City. Yeah, no, Why we is don't. that? Statistically, no, we're not. Yeah. Oh, okay. So one of the things I was going to say is what I was getting at, like we used to lock up bad guys and remove them from society. We used to, and not incarcerate, but we used to institutionalize mentally ill people and remove them, remove them from society. And why is that? Because that's the government's role to protect us. That's the social contract. That's why we all don't walk around with six shooters. This isn't the Wild West. We have law enforcement. We have government that will do their role to protect us from the people who will harm us. I think we have to revisit that. A lot of these mentally ill people that are out there that shouldn't be out there need to We have a second look at that. We also have terrorism. I don't know if this is a terrorist attack or this is a radicalized person, but we have in every police department, they have intelligence. And that should be something that should be pursued and followed to, again, the goal should be to remove people who are causing harm to society. You, you, the goal of government is to protect society. But unfortunately, the left is making you know, society more dangerous for us. And I think this type of behavior comes out of that. People that probably shouldn't be out and about or, or in otherwise radicalized or, or are criminals, you know, just. You know, Joe, I just like to let all our listeners know that uh, Joe Murray's a retired NYPD police officer. He's an attorney and he ran for Queens district attorney. We pushed hard for him, but, uh, Yes, you did. In this climate, I think they wanted someone that was a little further left than you were. <laughs> a I, I, or a lot further left. If my election was last year, last November, I would have done so much better. Right now, you know, we had the bail reform, discovery reform, all that stuff coming out. And I was trying to warn people, hey, look what's coming down the pike. Closing Rikers Island, releasing thousands of inmates. It didn't happen yet, so it was so hard to catch that, you know, that vibe when uh, during my campaign. But 2020 would have been a great year. Who knows? I may do it again. You're going to run again, you think? I might. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's, it takes a lot of energy, and uh, I know you love your law practice. And, I uh, love what I do, but I got to tell you, I really had fun campaigning. It was like being a cop again. I was out on patrol, meeting people, you know, talking to people. It was you were fun. shaking hands and kissing babies and, and all that stuff, right? All the racists and, uh, you know, all kinds of horrible things by some people, but that was part of being a cop. Yeah. <laughs> so it was Fourth fun. Step Woman, thank you so much for the 499 Super Chat. Bill Ryan, thank you for the 499 Super Chat. This is police off the cuff, real crime stories. That my two guests are retired sergeant extraordinaire, thirty nine years worth, uh, Pete Panuccio, and of course retired NYPD police officer, amazing attorney, and uh, maybe future Queens District Attorney candidate Joe Murray. Joe was also a boxer, and he's a handsome guy. He could be the cosmopolitan. Uh, Bachelor of the Month, except I know his girlfriend. She may call me and say, don't you ever say that again. <laughs> she's in earshot, too. <laughs> oh, she's uh, I'm in trouble then. <laughs> so what what do we what do we got? Are we gonna solve this problem or this pro this is always gonna be a problem? But the the right is always gonna say 
Second Amendment. And the left is always going to say we need more gun control. That's what we're used to that. It's been happening for years. What are your thoughts, Pete? Well, you got to remember, if somebody's determined to do something, they're going to do it. It'll be, look at the guy that we had on the West Side Highway a couple of years ago to plow through eight people with his truck. Um, they're going to find a means to do what they're, you know, whoever they want to go out and harm, be it terrorism, be it the voices in their head. There's always going to be a means. Um, from the law, excuse me, law enforcement perspective, we need to drill down when... It, it, it needs to be some sort of sharing of information between people that become dangerously psychotic and just routine stuff, cross-checking, you know, uh, pistol licenses, rifle permits. I understand that can't be done in every jurisdiction, but it's a start. Um, you know, well, Pete, you know, the, the, uh, the HIPAA laws fly in the face of that. And for our listeners that don't know what that is, that's, your right as a patient to not have your information released. And well, I remember as a sergeant in Manhattan North Homicide, I would call the hospital asking about the condition of someone who was just shot. And they would say, oh, we can't tell you. I'd be like, will you stop? You know, the guy was shot. I'm the police. Tell me what, what his condition is. And usually they would relent. But sometimes they would hide behind those HIPAA laws. And look, there's no small thing. I don't want my medical records, uh, you know, thrown out to everyone and discussed. I, I want them to be private. But, but then with bigger issues like gun control and people getting a gun license, maybe you could have to sign a waiver if you do want that gun permit that, yes, you can check my medical records, my psychological records in order for me to apply for this gun permit. Joe, thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think there, you know, I, I don't think that's the way to do it, but I think there are reasonable ways to do it to allow. I thought that had a great idea. You just blew me out of the water right there. <laughs> but I think, you know, just common sense wise, if someone goes to law enforcement and says, I'm, I'm observing this type of behavior on someone, they should then, if there's a, you know, enough evidence uh and it's good evidence and credible evidence to get a warrant look at your records to look at something that uh you know might be telling about uh your history but you know um, my fear is that a lot of these people are not don't have histories because we don't do that we don't take people off the street anymore i mean these edps are are you know barely held and then just released they're not institutionalized they're not treated they're not observed you know we can't really make that out you know Joe, somebody... you know when they take the police out of a lot of their past functions and start putting civilians in it that is dangerous in fact i just read today they're trying to have civilians investigate motor vehicle accidents what about when the driver is DWI? What about when the driver is fleeing an unarmed robbery? Are you still going to have civilians investigating car acts? I mean, very well, ill. Driver with a suspended license or a fake license, or you know, what what about that? Why don't we uh, have police officers doing that? Who, who's going to do that? They're here's talking about friend. AIS being civilians. Here's a for instance: when you got the guy who's now the president of the United States. Coming out and saying, well, cops should just shoot him in the leg. Well, news for you. Half of New York City, if we were allowed to shoot people in the legs, half the city would be limping. 
Like, you <laughs> know, I know you thought of that joke for a long time. You didn't just invent it right now. I, no, that oh, was the no. first thing that came to my head when he said that. I said, well, we pop the kneecaps. But, but here he is, you know, he's coming out with these. And he says, we're going to send out social workers and psychiatrists. Are we going to hire a couple of hundred thousand social workers and psychiatrists to go out and deal with every emotionally disturbed person in the United States? It's no. ludicrous. It's absolutely unworkable. We, we all know as being former law enforcement, one of the most dangerous jobs you ever go to is an EDP. Is that not exactly. correct? That is 100% right. And I mean to send what they call as violence interrupters or, or social workers to EDPs and for you non-police personnel I know we throw around acronyms, but EDP means emotionally disturbed person. And in fact, they tried to soften it up a little bit more by saying emotionally distressed person. Distressed. They didn't want disturbed was too disturbing to say, so they changed it to distressed. <laughs> yeah. You know what? When you go in the apartment, all of a sudden, you know, you got a couple of social workers in there. And this guy decides, well, I'm not playing the game and starts flinging them around the apartment. You know, the, uh, their, their terminology is going to be, oh, my God, we have a psycho on our hands. Yeah. And they're going to find out about EDP strength. And, yeah. You know, yeah, in, in human strength, right? They always used to say that uh, this EDP oh, is like yeah. a, the strength of, you know, uh, an EDP. <laughs> well, how, many, how many times do you see these guys, especially if, if there's a weapon involved, some of these guys take multiple hits in gunfights. They're out of their minds. They don't stop. They hit with nightsticks. They're pepper sprayed. They're tased. They keep on fighting. And nobody ever knows what is going to happen when you knock on that door. Because when things go south, it happens in a second. You can go in there and this guy can be saying, oh, hi. Come on in. You know, oh, sure, I'll talk. Come into my lair. <laughs> and he's in there with a, with a chainsaw. And, you know, and because he's already got his mind made up. He's not going back to an institution. Right. Oh, great. There's no cops here. I'm going to well, Pete, I don't know if you saw the video a couple of weeks ago of the two Queens cops that were yes. called basically to do a closed job for this woman to go back and get her stuff. And that would seem like, you know, not the most dangerous job. The guy started shooting job. at them as they came in and they exchanged gunfire with, with their boyfriend or husband. I mean, that very, very easily could have been handled by a civilian that didn't have a firearm, you know, and we'd have a dead civilian, you know. I yeah. tell you, from, the time that, from the time she said, oh, my God, he's coming down the street, it was under maybe from the second he appeared in the doorway, in a second and a half, these guys were trading shots. And that's a lot. They were in that room. That's a small room. It's a shooting gallery because everybody's firing shots. I'm absolutely amazed the cops got out of that. And, you know, it's a testament. You want to talk about training? Those guys followed their training, and they survived a really bad incident. But, but you know something, Pete? I want to ask you something, and Joe, you, you also. How many times a year do you go to the range? I was going to bring that up. That's a great point. I remember when I was – Is that train? Is that enough training? Of course not. No. It's bare minimum. You're really just qualifying. You're not really training. Um, I just want to bring this out. I was part of the pilot program for the 9mm. You know, we had 38s, and I think they gave a few to each precinct. 
And it was so funny because Ali was the my captain at the time, and we made a lot of collars, my partner and I. So he picked us for the nine millimeter. And uh, you know, then after my incident, I ran into him. <laughs> he, he you goes, mean your EDP incident? <laughs> you know, he ran it. I ran into him, and he said, "You know how much trouble you got me in." <laughs> so, but anyway, just pointing that out, we had to qualify four times a year. We had to go, to, and it was a way to enforce practicing. You know, we're allowed. We always had the right to go to any of the, the, the ranges. Like, I would go to headquarters when I had to go down there for something and pop off 50 rounds. They would give us the rounds. They wanted us to practice. So, you know, yeah, but you know, cops, unless you're forced to do something, right, you're not going right. to do it. If you well, don't you know, force a cop, cop to shine his shoes, they'll look like, you know, construction worker boots, you know. Uh, Billy, I'll tell you what. I was the buff. I would occasionally go to the range down in headquarters. They had an advanced combat course. It was a four-hour course given by some hairy knuckle dragger from way back <laughs> when from the range. And you know what? This guy gave you four hours of stuff that, yeah, you know what? We're not going to discuss this at the range. And out there and pushing you on the line. But unfortunately, it was a four-hour course. It was voluntary. And, uh, you know, you other jurisdictions will qualify once a month. Some federal jurisdictions, like the air marshals, I think, are qualifying almost like once a week if they're firing weapons inside an aircraft. Their, their, their training is absolutely, their marksmanship is stupendous. You know, it's just my whole point is that a lot we of get the gun politicians out, are always saying more training, more training, but they don't mean it. They do yeah, not they, mean they it. They don't mean it. They, they're reducing our training. I, I think with the firearms training, the city is putting out just enough to cover a liability issue down the line. Oh yeah, well he was trained. They're also oh, trying to trained, teach. No, not. They're also trying to teach cops de-escalation training, where if someone's charging at you with a knife, that's not deadly physical force, which is totally ridiculous. But you know? Billy, this brings us to a whole separate point. Look at all these videos that we see these cops. Going on and on with these engagements, yelling, screaming, and then scuffling with them. You know, it becomes with each second as that thing is going on, the more dangerous it's becoming. Now you're involved in a prolonged physical fight with somebody. And you know what? I hate to be the guy that says, well, back in the day, you know what? You got told, listen, this is going to end, or you're going to get locked up. There was no prolonged scuffles. I mean, it was. Punches, radios, nightsticks. Yeah, no, you were taught to end the fight as quickly yeah. as possible. End it. It's safer yeah. for everybody involved to end that fight as quickly as possible. But now, if you hit someone over the head with your radio, you'd get charged with assault too, and the perp would get released. I'm glad I'm retired. Yeah. Unless you, know, you have unless, unless you have fists of iron like Joe Murray, you know. Joe's special category. It's all too. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't have the speed, but he had. He had the. He had the strength behind that. That, that punch, you know. Yeah. yeah so guys, we're actually at um, six hours and excuse six hours. One hour and seven minutes at six oh seven. One hour and seven minutes, and I think we're gonna put our last words in there. I just wanted to show. Uh, I wanted to put this up there so everyone could see the the people who were all killed in this incident in Colorado. It's it's a it's a horror. Some great people. Uh Eric Talley is the gentleman, the police officer in the middle of that shot. 
but these are real people. These people had real lives. These people had families. And the, um, in the case of Officer Talley, he had seven kids, you know. So, uh, Joe, last thoughts? Yeah, I, you, you hit it right, uh, right home. Uh, I remember just uh, after 9-11 how my kids, my daughter was three. So she, when I, the next day when I had to go to work, she kissed me, going, bye, Daddy. My son was five, and his best friend in school, his father didn't come home. Oh, man. So he was terrified, wouldn't let me go. And the only way I could console him to allow me to go to work was to tell him, I'm going there to look for your friend, you know, Ray's father, you know. So I really feel, I mean, these people, thank God I've never suffered that horrible tragedy, but I, I, I know these people are hurting. They are really hurting. And for these politicians that are, that are just politicizing, it's shame on them. We need to do something. Like I said, this is a social contract. Government is here so that we don't engage in self-help. Government is here to protect us, to protect society. What's the best way to do it? The least restrictive means, respecting our rights, but protecting us? We need to do that. And, and I think, you know, I commend you for starting the conversation. We need to have conversations like this, and everyone should be talking about it and kicking ideas around, spitballing, We'll come up with a plan. We will. Well, Joe, that was pretty uh, pretty nuanced, and I appreciate your thoughts. Pete, you get the final word. Don't get carried away, though. No, I won't. <laughs> but you know what? Number one, public awareness. We need to train the public. The public needs to know what to look for. Can't be shy about it. I hate to say it. Can't be shy. Thorough and aggressive follow-up. There are going to be certain red flags and a pop-up in investigations or calls that come in. And you know what? We have to get into it. You got to start cross-checking addresses. You got to check addresses, see who's got firearms in what locations. Does it get intrusive to firearm owners? Well, yeah, I can understand that, especially if you're a legitimate firearm owner. But then again, you got this guy boiling on the stove here for the last couple of days, and six days ago he buys a, a you know, an assault-type weapon. So, you know, it's awareness, it's enforcement. And, uh, you know, I, we're in dangerous times and because the, the police are not being supported to do their job. They want us to do a job. They're not going to allow us to do the job. They'd rather just bash us. Um, this is dangerous times. And, and you know what? Just for me, I don't care about your gun-free zone. I'm walking through there with my gun. Yeah, um, no. you I, know, I agree with you. I agree with you, Pete. Had there been a, a civilian there armed with a firearm, maybe this could have been stopped. Maybe it could have been slowed down. Um, well, he actually started shooting in the parking lot. Yeah, he, he yeah, walked well, to the store. Yeah. Well, you know, if I'm walking out the door with my Wheaties and, uh, you know, <laughs> and I see this guy popping off at old people, you know, I'm a retired guy. I am letting loose with everything I got because you know what's coming next, and it's going to be the people in that store. Right. And that can be anywhere. Um, yeah. Thankfully, these, the media is going to beat this to death. Thankfully, we, people don't realize these things are, are not as common as we believe. You get them in spurts like we did the last week. Um, it's not as common. And uh, you know what? Maybe they should pay attention to the mass casualty incidents that we see in Chicago, in New York City, where, you know, 
these thugs are shooting up the streets and they should in Baltimore. Well, you know, the other thing, I mean, not to, to change subject because we're trying to close out here, but in Miami, they took 80 guns off off the street from the allegedly spring breakers. 80 guns. Why are you bringing a gun to spring break? I don't it's get tourists. it. You know, is there is there a competition? Is there some kind of shooting competition? You know, but think of how dangerous that is. They recovered in one week 80 guns in Maya and South Beach. Yeah, and everybody's looking up. I mean, which makes it even more dangerous. Everybody's drunk. They're brawling in the streets. Um, but, you know, try keeping your police department, though, invested in the game and keeping their spirits up and everything when they're constantly beat down by every politician out there. They have no use for us. When you're trying to keep these guys motivated and do a job, then you have a guy like police officer Eric Talley that, no hesitation, jumped right into the battle, and he's dead. You know, but the same group of people and politicians out there will have no problem a month from now turning around and crapping all over the heads of Boulder PD. So, you know, it, it, it's, I don't know what the answer is. It, it's not a good situation. Pete, if we did know the answer, we wouldn't be sitting here on Police Off the Cuff. We'd have our own, uh, you know, TV show, I think, you know. Although the people on TV certainly aren't smarter than we are, that's for sure. No, right? we'd be running. You know what? We might be running cities. As you're right. You're right. We probably should be because we're smarter than most of the leaders. Anyway, guys, I want to thank retired police officer, attorney extraordinaire, and maybe future Queens District Attorney uh, <laughs> Joe Murray. Always great to see you, Joe. I tell Same you, you're a handsome-looking guy too. You know, and of course. Retired Sergeant Pete Panuccio, 39 years. I'm not even 39 years old. I don't know how he did 39 <laughs> years, you know. But anyway, all you people watching, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. Thank you so much for supporting us. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. Great to see you. Thanks, guys. Good night, Bill. Good night, Good night Joe. Now. Great seeing you. Good show, Good Bill. Time.